just while the band is making their way down, if you tonight at the end of the service still feel that you need more of God's love or feel that He does not love you or feel you, there's something you need to do, please, I'm going to tell you now, after the service, there's a prayer team here. Please come to the front. I don't want anybody walking out of here not experiencing the Father's love tonight. Is that good? Is that good? Thank you. Cool. Give the worship team a hand. They did very well. I'm going to call up Neil. He's going to preach to us tonight. Preach at us. Preach for us. I don't know how that... Anyway, he's just so good. Can we just extend our hands to him? Father, thank you that Neil is preaching tonight. Thank you that you anoint him, that you fill him with your spirit as he preaches. Thank you that your anointing rests thick on him, Rao. I pray that you'll open our hearts to hear your voice through him in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, everybody. At least you clapped before I started, so you don't know where I'm going. Um, I think that was quite a deep time of worship, and uh, I'm going to probably adjust what I want to say a little bit. So for the guys at the back, I think I'm just going to use the text slide, but when we get there, we'll get there. Okay. There's nothing more powerful than a life that's surrendered to God. When we come and we surrender our lives, as we've heard through, uh, I think, the ministry and the Spirit and the worship, and there were two or three words that were shared, that we should never allow anything to disqualify us from coming to God. And God can take our lives however they are, whatever state they're in, and He can transform them into something beautiful, something phenomenal, something that we couldn't have imagined. If I think of my life 20-odd years ago, or less, um, yeah, I turned 30, I liked it, and I stuck there. Um, <clears throat> but I would never 20 years ago have been able to imagine what God has done in my life and through my life, the places He's taken me, the things I've been privileged to do with Him, but I think that it was only possible as we surrender our lives to God and as we bring them to Him. And I would so encourage you that if there is something you feel that that's not for me, that distances you from God, that, as we're saying now about, that disqualifies you from God, to make a point to deal with that in a real way, in a substantive way, in a way um, that takes it away, that deals with it. Um, this thing of the love of the Father was an issue in my life. And I, I heard it taught here at, at church. When I came to Hatfield, it was one of the first things I heard taught, that God loves me and that He's a Father and He's a good Father and He's got good intentions for me. And I knew that wasn't real in my life. That wasn't, first of all, it was new knowledge. It was new information to me. Studied the Scriptures through and found it to be true and an accurate reflection of what the Scriptures hold because that's how I'm wired. Um, if it's in the Bible, I can work with it. If it's not, it's a bit interesting. Okay. Found it to be substantively true, and then try to align the experience of my life with the truth of the Scriptures. But I realized they didn't break through for me. And so I took about three years, because I'm slow that way. If you ask my wife, I'm an em emotional dwarf. She uses the word idiot sometimes. No, she doesn't actually. Um, I think she wants to, but she's very kind. Um, it took me a while. But if it takes you a while, it's fine, because God will take that. And then like that picture in the word that was shared, like a geezer, 
that just bursts forth out of your life, God will release life in ways that you haven't imagined. I'm wondering if you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, can God use my life? No matter what your age is, whether you're 20, 40, or 60, or older, or anywhere in between. Can God use my life? And the answer is yes. And I think in each of us, there's this thing that wants to make a difference, that wants to pick a cause, to give our lives to something that's worthy, something that's bigger than ourselves, that our lives can count. And probably if you're in your 20s, you've got lots of ideals and dreams of what that could be, as long as you don't disqualify yourself in your good moments. You'd have good ideals. Uh, What happens often in your 40s is you kind of wonder what you've done, and they call it a midlife crisis, but anyway... And then you refine, you reset, and you let God take the wisdom and the life skills and the experiences that he's taught you and lead you on and further up into what he has for you. And so it's important that we take our passion for God, our passion for his name, and we find a real way to express it. So the title of my message tonight is Faith and Eternity, which are interesting concepts because... Sometimes when you think about faith, we think of faith as being an insurance policy. You know, I must have faith now in Jesus, and I must believe in Jesus so that, you know, one day in the future when I die, I can go to heaven. It functions, maybe we don't talk about it this way, but in our lives, we think that faith is for the future. Faith is important. You know, I need to, you know, I think my language is not disrespectful. I need to do the Jesus thing now so that I have insurance for heaven. And we kind of think that faith has this escapist element to it, that faith doesn't help me now, it's for then. And I think part of what I want to try and just relay or land tonight is that faith deals with reality. In the Bible, it actually says surprisingly little, but a little about heaven. It doesn't say nothing, but it says if you think about how important heaven is, and if you think about the fact that heaven is going to be forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, the Bible says quite a a little about it. Because the Bible and the authors of Scripture and God through His Spirit as He inspired them were far more concerned that our faith deals with reality. Now, we can take our faith, what we believe about God, what we believe about what He says about us, and we can apply it to our world and change our world. So probably the key thought I have tonight is that we must allow our future reality to define or to determine our present conduct. We must allow our future reality to define or determine our present conduct. So if you're young in your career, you're starting a career, or perhaps you're a student, uh, whatever phase of life you may be in, uh, I work a little bit with students. Some of them are here. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Interesting thing about, if I may use this as an example, interesting thing about when you're a student is, you're actually supposed to do one thing. You know what the one thing is students are supposed to do? Study. The old people said that quite quickly. The older people, sorry. <coughs> students are supposed to study. What's the one thing students do least? Well, most of them. Okay. How do you motivate yourself to study when you're a student? You have to think about the future reality. You have to think about that reality one day when you walk across the stage and you get that degree. And you have to think about the reality that that option, that that degree or that qualification opens for you for career and life and things like that. That future reality can help motivate you to the present conduct. When it's a Sunday night or a Saturday night or a weekday night, 
and everyone else is going out and everyone else is visiting their friends and drinking coffee, but you have to. Sorry, I grew up as a Christian. I, I know no other things. Don't laugh at me. Stick to the point. Future reality governing your present conduct. You have to then go and say, well, friends, books. Friends, future reality. Books it is. That's what you do every time. It's true when we're busy building our careers and we're young at work, but it's also true in our journey of faith, in our life of faith, that there's promises God has given you. When we started earlier in the term, we spoke about faith in tough times. We said one of the ways to think about faith is is that it's believing that God will do what he said he would do. Faith is believing that God will do what he said he would do. And in our life of faith, God has said things over our lives. On a basic level, if you're a believer and you believe in Jesus, faith in him on the salvation level means that he has said, God has said, if you believe in him, you're determined to repent is the Bible word, but you're determined to change your mind about how you're living. Instead of living for yourself, you live for him. That's one of the fundamental ideas behind the concept of repentance. You change your mind. You confess your sins. In other words, you agree with the things you're doing that are wrong, you agree with God that they're wrong. And then you put your faith in Jesus. You believe that he will take your sins away. You believe he'll do what he said he will do. He will take your sins away, and he'll give you life eternal. He'll give you eternal life. You can go to heaven. That's on a bottom level. All of us have that promise. I really hope it's true. I know, actually. I have a life experience and confidence in my heart that when I die... I will spend eternity with him because God will do what he said he would do. But God's also, I'm sure, has spoken to many of us in this room about other things that are future for us, promises of the future. Maybe they're general, maybe they're specific. We need to allow those future realities to govern our present conduct. It brings discipline to our life. And so we want to spend some time tonight in Hebrews chapter 12, the first three Verses, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. And if you have a device or a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to spend a lot of time. It will come up on the screen as well. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 says, Therefore, now therefore starts from everything that was said in chapter 11, and I'll give you an overview of that in a minute. But Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders And the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Now, in the book of Hebrews, there's quite a bit of focus on how Jesus is better than many of the things in the Old Testament. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than Aaron, all these Old Testament heroes. But when you get to Hebrews 11, it's kind of what's called, some people call it the faith chapter in the Bible. Okay, it's this, as the writer of the Hebrews goes, he lists all these people from the Old Testament times 
who are heroes of faith. It's kind of like a hall of fame for people who had faith. Their faith was simply that they believed God would do what he said he would do. And so we read there about people like Abel who offered an appropriate sacrifice to God and Enoch. Read about Noah. You all know the story of Noah? Okay. Built an ark. It's interesting there is that we're living this side of history. So when we read that Noah built an ark, we at least have some idea, even if it's just from our children's Bibles or pictures that we've seen, of what an ark is. You know, big wooden boat, lots of animals, small windows, floats, takes you through floods. We have reference points for ark. Do you know that when God told Noah to build an ark, there was nothing like that? No Google, look it up quickly, nothing. There was no such concept. And so Noah's faith is interesting because God asked him to do something that had never been done before. And he believed God and he did it and his whole family got saved. In fact, all of us got saved because the line of Jesus, the line of the Messiah came through Noah's family. And sometimes, I think for people in this room, maybe there's some of you, God's going to call you to do stuff that hasn't been done before. And you'll save many. You'll bring justice. You'll help the poor. You'll do great exploits for God if you believe that he will do what he said he would do. We read in Hebrews 11 about Abraham, who God told, leave the country you're in and go live in a place I'll show you. You'll know when you get there. Really? He He just said, leave and go, and when you get there, I'll tell you. And then that land you get to, that's your land. But you're not going to get it in your lifetime. In fact, not even your children and their children are going to get it. But one day, they will. How's that for a nice promise? I'm going to bless you, but you're never going to see it. You just need to move now. And some of us, that's our journey of faith, that you're going to have to leave what you know in the familiar and go to the unknown and live there and maybe never even fully see everything that God has promised. But generations later will be blessed because of what you do. We read about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Joseph's quite a guy. I mean, you know he saved the nation from the famine and all of that. But when he's dying, he says to his children, When you go back, they've been living in Egypt now for a while. When you go back to the promised land, the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and our father Jacob, when you go back, take my bones with you. That only happened about 400 years later. That's faith. He saw something happening. He said, when you go, just take my bones with you. How sure was he that God would do what he said he would do? So don't make promises about your bones, though. It's just weird. Okay. (laughs) Thinking of Moses, who, you know, he's, we all know the stories, floated on the river, uh, Pharaoh's daughter found him. He could have grown up in a place of privilege and position. He could have grown up in one of the most advanced civilizations of his day as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have grown up in, with privilege and status, but he knew what God was doing. He, God had somehow spoken to him. And so he rejected status, he rejected position and wealth so that he could do what God called him to do. The interesting thing in Hebrews 11 is it says that all these people, all these Old Testament heroes, and it mentions a whole lot of others, it says they all died without fully receiving what God promised them. Because they had a different view. Now, part of what God promised them is that one day a Messiah would come. He spoke about it in Genesis 3 when he said, Adam and Eve had just sinned, and God said, I will send someone who will crush the serpents, Head, the seed of the woman. He's speaking there about Jesus. They knew Jesus would come, but they never fully 
saw that. It wasn't realized in their lifetimes. And Hebrews 12 starts, and it says that these people, these Old Testament heroes of faith, they are our great cloud of witnesses. Now, the one way to think about it is that they're the spectators in the stands, and you're running the race. I don't know if you ever did sport at school. Now, when my parents came to watch, I always did worse. Okay, it didn't, didn't inspire me at all. It freaked me out. Okay, I was in hostels in high school, and so it was like an event when they came. So I did a lot without them there, and I was fine. And when they came, I tried so hard to impress them. I uh, didn't. Okay. But there's one way to think about these guys, like, you know, <laughs> Moses is watching you. Okay, it's just weird. Okay. And it's difficult to think that way. But there's another way to think about this great cloud of witnesses, which is probably more what the author of Hebrews is intending, is that their lives give witness to us. Their lives testify to us of what a life of faith can do. What living your life surrender to God with all your brokenness, with whatever you think can distance you from God or separate you from God, when you turn towards Christ, you turn towards Jesus and you live this life, these people testify to us about the possibilities of faith. And so it's important as we go on these faith journeys to remember that these people, we can read about their lives in Scripture. And they can inspire us. They testify to us when our journeys get tough and difficult, the difference that faith can make. It's also helpful to read stories of other Christians, maybe from the early church or heroes through the, through the 2,000 years of church history who did things for God because he spoke to them. They lived like it was going to come true, and they orientated their lives to what, what, what God has said. That's why testimonies are so important. Even in our present-day community, don't be scared to share with one another or to ask one another, what's God done for you? Because those stories of faith lived out in a real world, not faith that's waiting for heaven to come, real-world faith, help us and encourage us on our journey. So one of the things that the book of Hebrews says is that we have a great cloud of witnesses that we can aspire to. It's interesting for us as believers, Jesus has already come, New Testament believers now. Jesus has already come. We've already seen that for which all these Old Testament saints dreamed of, which they hoped for. Jesus has already come. And then he left. But he said he'll be back. And we live in this in-between time where what God promised has already been realized. It's already come true. So in a sense, it's easier for us to have faith because we've seen the life of Jesus. We read about it. But we also have this future hope that he will come back and that we will live with him and be with him forever. forever. So let's go back to Hebrews 12. So we've read now, therefore we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. The text says then, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Guys at the back, I see you being very clever. You can just help follow me now. I'm back on track. There is a race marked out for each of us. For us corporately, there's a faith journey as a community of young adults at this time. But there's also journeys of faith for each of us individually. And you have a race. And these points won't necessarily come up on the screen, but they're in the text, all in verse 1. The race of faith that God's calling you to do if you want to succeed in that race, if you want to accomplish that which God has promised he would do in your life, three things. Number one, throw off that which hinders you. Now, this, 
here is not referring to bad things. This is referring to things that are completely fine. When you run a race, you dress more like the picture. You put on clothes that are fitting for that race. You prepare yourself appropriately for the life of faith that God has called you to do. If he's called you to be a doctor, you prepare yourself appropriately for that. If he's called you to be a great mom, you figure out how to do that. Moms are amazing. I don't know how they do it. Okay? It's a secret mystery that men will never know. Okay? It's like an anointing from heaven falls on them. But you, you dress yourself appropriately for your race. Now, if you're, by the way, this race of faith is not a 100-meter sprint. It's a lifelong marathon that you run. So don't pick up a backpack, an extra weight that, you, that will hinder you on your journey. These things could be good. Maybe it's fine for all your friends to go to movies five, five times a week. Maybe. Okay. But it's not fine for you because that's not your race of faith. It's not what God's called you to do. So you let your future reality determine your present conduct. Nothing wrong with movies in and of themselves, I suppose. But you let your, this life of faith condition your present behavior. So you need to put off things that can make your life of faith more complicated. For some of you, that might mean friendships. They don't help you to get where God wants you to go. You just put them off. You also, it also says you've got to throw off sin that eagerly entangles you. Because sin will stop you from fulfilling the life of faith that God has for you. Okay? You know what the secret about sin is? Stop it. <laughs> okay, now it's not always that easy in practice, particularly if there's things that have entangled us, if it's like a vine that grows around your legs. But then go to a brother or sister you trust and say, this thing is disqualifying me. This thing is separating me from God, because that's what sin does. Biblically, it tells us sin separates us. This thing is separating me from the, the race of faith. Help me cut the cords. Help me come to a place of freedom. And even if you resist that sin your whole life, it will be worth it, because you'll achieve what God has called you to achieve. Now, not every sin you're going to fight your whole life. Is that okay? But you'll come free, and it will become easier to run the race of faith. The text then also says, we have this race marked out for us, but we must run it with perseverance. We must run this race with patience. Patience is a key word. It's interesting for me that the promise that God made to Abraham, he also made to Isaac and Jacob, that they would inherit the land and their descendants would be like the stars in the sky and too numerous to count more than you know, like the sand on the seashore. It's one of the promises that God gave. Another promise he gave to Abraham is that all nations will be blessed through you. That was a multi-generational promise. How much patience would it take to persevere and to run that race? Some of the promises God has given you, you're not going to achieve in the next five to ten years. They're big promises. Run your race with patience. You don't try this Christian thing for six months. I heard someone talking like that the other day. I'm trying this Christian thing again. It's nice. You give your life to it. You lose yourself in it. That's the Christian thing. Sorry, back on point. Okay. So you run with patience. If we go back to the text, Hebrews 12, you should be getting it by now. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked for, out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus 
who's the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And I don't have time tonight to talk about that. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we want to win this race of faith, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. You fix your eyes on the prize. One day in eternity, you will live with him forever. And he is more than enough for this life and more than enough for the next one. But there's this principle here that I see in the life of Jesus, which I want to show you, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I want to show you. It says in the text, verse 2, that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The future reality of joy for Jesus, which is sins being forgiven, death being conquered, people being able to be restored in their relationship with God. Jesus saw that, and then he saw the next couple of days in his life where he would go to the cross suffer unimaginably, experience things that we will never experience in our lives. And he says, not my will, Father, but yours. I'm going to do this for the joy set before him. And so that's where I get this phrase from. You allow your future reality, like Jesus, the joy set before him, to determine your present conduct. And you go through hard times sometimes. You deal with Difficult things, you wrestle with sin and you persevere for the joy set before you, that future reality, the freedom that might come. So our future reality must determine our present conduct. This is a mark of believers in the first part of the early church. If you study church history and you read it, their lives were so conditioned and orientated around the fact that Jesus had come and changed everything for them. And they believed that he would be coming back really soon. And so they orientated their lives around that completely. And so I wonder for us tonight, how does the future reality, our future reality, determine our present conduct? Those promises that God has made, those things that he said he would do in your life, how much does that govern your present conduct? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, which means we hold his life before us. We hold the pattern he set before us. Keep our eyes on the prize and we work for our eternal reward. Last thing from the book of Hebrews and then we're going to close. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He received his reward. Text goes on and it says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus, Son of God, endured opposition on earth. It wasn't smooth sailing for him and everything just came the waters didn't part for him like for the Israelites at the Red Sea and everything. Jesus endured opposition, and so will we, like master, like servant. We will endure opposition. The key here, the text says, is that we must not grow weary and lose heart. How do we prevent that? One, we stay connected to a faith community. We stay connected with brothers and sisters in Christ, who when we are getting weary, we can say to them, just come and pray for me. This promise of God that I'm living towards, 
This thing that God has spoken in my life, that I'm orientating my life around, I'm tired. I'm losing heart. Come, stand next to me. Can we pray? You live in community of faith. It's how you prevent yourself. And the other one is with perspective that helps you not lose heart. What I'm doing now, the lifestyle I've chosen to live, which is different from everyone around me, the things I'm pursuing, the fact that I'm perhaps getting up earlier to pray when everyone else in my house is sleeping, those sacrifices are all worth it because of our future reality. One day we will be with Him. There's a scripture in Revelation chapter 7. We don't have time to read it tonight, verse 15 to 17. But it literally says that we will live with Him in His temple. He will tabernacle with us. He'll camp with us. He'll live with Him. We'll be in His presence forever. The text goes on a bit and then it says, and He Himself will wipe every tear from our eye. No matter what you suffered, no matter how weary you are, no matter how much heart you feel like losing, there's a reality where Jesus will come and He Himself will wipe every tear from your eye. And so do not grow weary. But I believe tonight there's a challenge for us. What are you going to use your faith for? Is your faith just your insurance policy to hopefully make sure you and Jesus are okay one day? Or is your faith something that can deal with your present reality and transform it? That your life doesn't conform, Romans 12, to the pattern of this world, but your life becomes transformative and powerful because you do what God said he would do. If you will use your faith this way, God will let you change your world. God will let you do something significant. So how do we use our faith? We learn all we can from heroes of faith, both in the Bible and through church history. We learn all we can from heroes of faith. We focus on our race. We throw off that which hinders, we deal with sin, and we are patiently pursuing that which God has laid hold of us for. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on God's agenda. We allow our future reality to determine our present conduct. And we don't give up. And if we want to, we get people to help us. I remember once I was doing obstacle courses, part of some training, I was doing some obstacle courses. And, you, you know, obstacle courses are generally difficult because there's obstacles. And then what they do to make them funny is they give you a pole or, and some tires to carry with just because it wasn't difficult enough on its own. I remember once we were running in some thick sand, sinking away. And we had poles on and some tires hooked on the poles. And I was running and the team leader came in and I was like finished. It was far. I was fit. I was supposed to be finished, Gideon. It was like a, what do you call it, CrossFit box super thing, world championship stuff. Okay. And I remember the team leader coming, and he ran next to me, and he, okay, it was a bit of a super situation. He shouted in my ear, you can do this. You're strong. And I didn't feel like it at all. But he kept shouting at it so much that I eventually started believing him. And then I went for it. And I knew exactly what he was doing. I was, you know, he's intelligent enough to know he's hyping me up, okay? But it worked. And that's sometimes what we need to do for each other. When we see people carrying poles and tires, and they're battling with the obstacle course of life. Come, don't shout in their ear, but be polite and say, come on, we can, we can do this. You're strong enough. We can persevere. We can make this. This is world-changing faith. Imagine if you and your friends could spur one another on in this way. Faith and eternity. Eternity is our reward that helps us to have faith that deals with reality.
And so perhaps tonight, if you want to respond to this challenge, how are you going to use your faith? I'd like to pray for you. Father, through the worship tonight and the ministry in the Spirit, you spoke to us. Not to allow things to separate us from you. And so, Lord, we want to run into your loving arms. We want to embrace you. We want to get healed. We want to get whole. We want to throw off the things that hinder us. We want to deal with the sin that entangles us. And we want to be men and women of faith that will believe what you've said in our lives, that we then orientate our lives around the things that you have said so we can make a difference in our world, that our faith can be more than an insurance policy. I pray, Lord, for each one in this room that will be mindful of eternity, that will be mindful of the future reality you have for us, that one day we will live with you and you will comfort us and wipe away every tear from our eye, from our eyes. Help us to be mindful of this and help us to love you more and to do great exploits of faith so that in years to come, people can read about our lives and we can be in the hall of fame of faith. If you feel God is particularly speaking to you and challenging you in this area tonight, I would sure encourage you just to share it with one other person before you leave tonight. Ask them to pray with you, to spur you on in this journey. This is my wish and prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.